One of the things that stops small business owners from creating marketing content consistently is this feeling of being uninspired, of having no idea what to say in the first place. If you can relate to this, you are in good company. So many of us struggle with knowing what our marketing content should actually be about. But I am here to help. I have come up with 100 prompts that you can use to guide your marketing from your social media posts to your emails to your longer form content. I guarantee that these prompts will get you inspired and that you'll have more ideas than you even know what to do with. You can download this list of 100 marketing prompts for free at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100 prompts. That's makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100-P-R-O-M-P-T-S. Welcome back to Making Good, the podcast for small businesses who want to make a big impact. I'm your host, Lauren Tilden, and this is episode 58. Today on Making Good, my guest is Chris Putnam Walkerly, and we are talking about incorporating giving into your business. Before we get into this episode, which is pure gold, a couple updates from me. First is a bit of a personal update. As you listen to this episode, which comes out on April 20th, my life is changing dramatically. We have an induction scheduled for the birth of our first kid on April 19th. So hopefully by the time you listen to this, I am a parent. Whoa. If you're interested in updates, I am planning to share them with my email list. And of course, on Instagram at Lauren Tilden, L-A-U-R-E-N-T-I-L-D-E-N. The second thing I have to update you on is a new resource. If you ever feel like the hardest part of marketing is figuring out what to say in the first place, this is for you. I put together a content creation guide that will walk you through a process to help you figure out what to talk about in your marketing and help you generate a lot of really good content ideas on demand. You can find this guide at makinggoodpodcast.com slash content. And third, I really want you to join the Facebook community for this podcast. It's called the Good Business Community, and it has been such a great place to hang out lately. A couple of fun things we've been doing recently in the group. First, I've started hosting what I call procrastination sessions, which are basically just 90-minute long Zoom calls where a bunch of us make ourselves accountable to get stuff done by hopping on a call and getting it done together. And second, I invited social media expert Chris Emmer of Mindful Social Co. to do Instagram audits where she's been going through content on everyone's Instagram accounts and providing awesome tips and feedback. There's also community inspiration and good conversation. We would love to have you join us over at makinggoodpodcast.com slash community. Okay, with that, let's talk about today's episode. My guest today is Chris Putnam Walkerly of Putnam Consulting. Chris is a global philanthropy advisor. Her clients include families, foundations, and Fortune 500 corporations, and she helps them design giving programs that increase the clarity, impact, and joy of their giving. She's also the author of Delusional Altruism, Why Philanthropists Fail to Achieve Change, and What They Can Do to Transform Giving. I'm thrilled to have a giving expert join me on the podcast to have a conversation around how to incorporate a give-back element into your small business. In this episode, we talked about the role of intention and giving, why how you give is just as important as what you give, how to choose a cause to give back to, how to make an impact with your giving, even if you have limited resources, which I know we all do, how to magnify the impact of your giving. 
the role of planning and flexibility in giving, and much, much more. I encourage every listener to incorporate some element of giving, no matter how small, into their business. This episode will show you how. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Okay, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Lauren. I'm excited to be here. I am really excited about this conversation. Um, As I was mentioning before we hit record, this is a topic that is so core to how a lot of people approach wanting to do good through their business. And it's not one that we've given enough airtime to on this podcast. So (laughs) I would love first for you just to give a bit of an introduction to yourself and how you came to do the work that you do. Sure. Uh, So my name is Chris Putnam Walkerly. I'm president of Putnam Consulting Group, and I'm a philanthropy advisor. So I advise uh, donors, businesses, Fortune 500 companies, foundations, you know, grant making family foundations or community foundations on how to have a greater impact with their giving, which um, is uh, easier said than, or hard, it seems easy to do, uh, but it's, it's actually harder than you would imagine uh, to have that impact that you want to have. And so I help them in all aspects of figuring out what they want to accomplish with their giving and the best way to accomplish it so that they can have the greatest impact and also feel the greatest joy in their giving. And, you know, I didn't start out thinking I was going to be a philanthropy consultant, <laughs> um, but uh, I did believe I would wanted to work in the nonprofit sector. And so I um, worked as a you know community organizer and worked on organizations trying to, you know, change human rights abuses in Central America and uh, domestic violence crisis lines and all sorts of things. And ultimately um, ended up getting a master's in social work thinking that I wanted to run nonprofit social service agencies. But while I was in grad school, I took some classes in evaluation and how do you evaluate the effectiveness of nonprofits. And I thought that was really interesting because, you know, if you assess yourself, you can make improvements and figure out what's working and not working. Uh, that led me to a job actually at Stanford University where I was an evaluator of youth violence prevention programs all over the state of California. And that was funded by one foundation, the California Wellness Foundation. And that really helped me understand the power of philanthropy because this was a time, you know, this was decades ago uh, when, um, you know, people thought of youth violence as a sort of a criminal problem. And there was an effort to shift it to be thought of as more of a public health and a prevention issue. And so this foundation, you know, they had a lot of money. They ultimately allocated about $10 million to this effort uh, over about 10 years. But it made me realize that the money is important, but it's it's more than money. It's It's being very thoughtful about what you're trying to accomplish, about identifying who are the right people, experts, data, you know, to kind of inform your thinking and figure out the best approach to tackling a problem. And I thought, well, that would be interesting. I should go work for a foundation, uh, which I did. It turned out to be one of the largest foundations in the country, the David and Lucille Packard Foundation, which is the family foundation of Dave Packard of HP. And Mm -hmm. that led me to consulting. And so I've been doing this for about 20 years. I now... um, work primarily as a strategist. So I help 
donors, companies that want to develop their philanthropic strategy. Uh, and I also am retained as an advisor. So a lot of my clients simply retain me for six months a year to help guide them in all aspects of their giving. Such an interesting job. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So just doing some research on you, one of the things I, I've seen you say a few times is that how you give is just as important as how much you give. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what you mean by that? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, one point I do want to make is that, you know, we think of philanthropy as the ultra wealthy and certainly they're, they are. Um, but I think philanthropists define all of us. You know, we're all philanthropists. I think philanthropist really means you're somebody who actively promotes human welfare. And so, you know, I, I just first want to say to all your listeners, you know, if you're somebody who gives, you know, maybe financially through yourself or your business, or you donate your time or your talent, or you, you know, volunteer, uh, there's all kinds of ways that we can give. And I think, you know, that means we're all philanthropists. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of, you know, how you give, so let's say you're giving $100 or $100,000. I mean, really, <laughs> the issues are kind of the same. And um, how you give uh, is really kind of like, are you trying to be transformational and really change, you know, create lasting change on the issues that you care about or kind of creating Band-Aid solutions? Are you approaching your giving with an abundance mindset, which could mean, yeah, I only have this much to give, but that doesn't mean I'm going to think small. I'm going to think big and figure out how I can leverage my you know, resources with others to have a larger impact. Or are you going to think about it from a scarcity perspective, maybe based in fear, like I don't have enough to give or I can't make a difference or, um, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not going to invest in my own time even to figure out what issues I care about. Um, another way this manifests, and I write about this in my book, Delusional Altruism, is kind of a scarcity mindset where I think a lot of donors get tripped up um, by this kind of misguided belief that, you know, if you're going to fund a, and support a nonprofit organization, then only the good ones are the ones that, you know, don't spend any money on overhead and don't pay their staff very much. And, you know, 99 cents for every dollar goes to the issue, you know, the, the community and only one cent is spent on, you know, quote unquote administration. And I think, you know, as small business owners, just as we recognize, we need to invest in ourselves and our, our own professional development and growth, uh, learning, knowledge, technology, nonprofits really need to invest in that as well. And so, um, you know, how you give, I think, can also take into account that if you want to, you know, make an impact on a cause or support a nonprofit, really investing in in their strength, in their capacity, in their talent is a great way to do that. It's such a great point. I feel like one of the big lessons for me, at least as a small business owner, has been that even if you resist it, doing taking the time and the money and energy to invest in yourself and your own um skill development, professional development, networking, all of those things, it really ma- makes a difference. It's might, it's hard sometimes to justify, but um, I kind of talk about that a lot on this podcast is just is being willing to invest in some of the like the softer skills and, 
and ex- expenses, I guess, um, because they really do pay off even if it's not it's not a transactional thing right away. Oh, absolutely. And I think especially, you know, when we think about COVID, I think both for philanthropists and for businesses uh, of any size, kind of the stronger you were going into that the pandemic and lockdown and the ensuing crises of this past year, you know, the, the stronger you were going into it, the stronger you were managing through it, ideally innovating through it, and the stronger you'll be coming out of it. I mean, just take a super easy example of Zoom. Um, you know, if you were reluctant to do any kind of video, anything, or doing anything, um, you know, virtually pre-pandemic, then you had a steep learning curve <laughs> to figure this out. You know, while you were in lockdown, while maybe you had children at home that you know you've lost your childcare, or you know you're doing remote learning, whatever you're whatever you're doing, you know that's not a good time to be figuring all this out. Um, so I think it's, you know, this investments and it doesn't have to be expensive. Um, you know, one of the things I was doing for the past two, you know, previous two years was literally just whenever I had a conference call, I would suggest doing it on zoom simply because I wanted to learn how to use zoom better. Like I wanted to be more facile and comfortable with it. And so it was just an easy way to kind of build my video conferencing muscle, if you will, right, um, right. you know, without even much of an investment of time or certainly money. So I think, you know, that mindset is really important um, uh, for all of us. Mm-hmm. Another thing I really liked that you said was just taking the, t- actually going through the process of taking the time to think about what you care about. This mm-hmm. is something that I'm really all about too, um, which kind of brings me to my next question. Let's say that someone listening is a small business owner who knows that they want to do some kind of um, give back model or a philanthropy element to their business, but they don't really know where to start and they might feel kind of overwhelmed. Um, that's when they, I saw a chapter in your book about being too overwhelmed to take the yes. next step. Um, how would you walk someone through the step of sort of making the decisions about what they care about and actually implementing some kind of process? Yeah. Yes, this is, I think, a really important piece because it's easy to be very reactive in giving. You know, you react to the appeal that comes in the mail or the friend that's going on some kind of, you know, bike ride across the country to raise money for whatever. And of course, you want to give and help. And that's great. Um, But I think it's important to take some time and it doesn't have to be a lot of time really to think about, you know, what are the causes that are meaningful to you? And I think you could do that in one of three ways. One is, you know, what are the causes that might align to your business or your business goals, right? So, um, you know, let's say you uh, are an artist, um, you know, causes that might be meaningful to your business would be like arts education. I'm just giving an example, or maybe there's an arts nonprofit in your community or something that aligns, you know, that it would make sense Um given your business goals and your business passions to also, you know, identify ways that you can help other people. Uh, similarly, if you, you know, were a pet store, you might think about helping homeless pets. <laughs> um, so that's one way to think about it is what are the causes that kind of align naturally to your business? A second is, you know, what are causes or issues that are just personally important to you? Uh, that could be, you know, you have, you know, you know, somebody who had committed suicide and so suicide prevention is really important to you or mental health, you know, or substance abuse treatment or, 
you feel like you are starting a business, you know, by the grace of God, because back when you were in high school, you had a, you weren't doing very well, but you had a mentor or that coach that really helped you uh, see what your possibilities were. And, you know, you want to give back in ways that'll also help other young people to see their potential and, you know, get that leg up. Um, Or it could also be the third way is through, you know, thinking about the causes that are meaningful and important to your employees. So, you know, I'll give you an example. My husband also is a small business owner and um, was dabbling in philanthropy and charitable giving. And one of his employees had been in foster care when he was young. And um, there was a a place where he lived, um, a residential um, organization where he had lived in the community. And so he had asked his employees, you know, for ideas and suggestions of causes or organizations that were meaningful to them. And, um, you know, it was it was a big deal for this employee to disclose that he had been in the foster care system. And so it just by doing that, it actually brought a lot of, um, you know, kind of camaraderie among the employees. Uh, And then they chose that as a cause for the year to support. And, you know, the whole organization came together to support. In fact, the same organization, the same nonprofit that he had benefited from as a child. And so, you know, I think, you know, those are three different ways that causes that align to your business, causes that are important to you personally, and causes that are important if you have employees to them as ways to think about, you know, what's meaningful to you. I love those tips that provides a good amount of structure around something that can feel like there are so many things that. I would like different in the world, which I think is really where philanthropy, what what it's about is what kind of change do you want to see? Um, so I love the idea of going through that exercise of just asking yourself those three questions and starting to make a list that way rather than kind of having a completely open <laughs> notebook <laughs> and a blanking cursor. Right. Because there's no shortage of problems in the world and there's no shortage of causes to support. And there's like 9 million nonprofit organizations in the world, something like that. You know, so that can be overwhelming, just daunting, and you can feel kind of deer in the headlights. But I think if you just spend a little bit of time thinking about any of those, and honestly, just picking one, you know, starting somewhere and going with it, um, you'll learn a lot uh, about what you like and don't like and uh, about the issue. And, you, you know, you can always change your approach down the road. Mm-hmm. What might be some good ways, like, let's say we've thought of, um, the cause that we're most interested in pursuing, what, how would you advise, do you have any tips, I guess I would say for small business owners in understanding what organizations might be better to give to and more impactful, or um, maybe it's not organization specific, but just advice on, you know, small business owners may not be giving a ton of money each Mm -hmm. time. So how can they make sure that they're making the biggest possible impact? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I can think of a couple. One is, um, you know, I think just like with your business, it's important to have clarity on what your strategy is. Also, when you think about giving, it's important to have clarity on what your strategy is. And so by that, I don't mean you spend a year creating a strategic plan. I mean, you simply think about what do I want to accomplish, like in the next year? Where am I today? And what are the most important things I can do to get from where I am today to where I want to be in 12 months? And I think that's a really good frame for your business 
you know, what kind of business owner do you want to be? Maybe a year from now, you want to have started your, you want to have started your business, or you want to have grown your business in a certain way, or entered a new market. You know, where are you on those issues now, and how do you get from here to there? Like, what's the most important? What's that twenty percent of effort that's going to drive the eighty percent of your results to getting to where you want to go? Similarly, with philanthropy or giving, it isn't much different. You know, what is the issue I care about? I care about uh, early childhood education. Where am I today on that issue? Well, I really have no idea. Like, <laughs> I have a child and education is important. And, you know, getting that my daughter to be able to read was hard. And I want to make sure that other people are able to do that. So getting from where you are today to where you want to be might be things like, I want to, you know, learn more about effective approaches to early childhood education. I want to research and identify a couple of nonprofits that I could support and figure out, you know, and pick one and, you know, begin funding it. Like that's your giving strategy and plan for the year, right? It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that, but simply by having that, that will help you uh, prevent what I call donor distraction disorder, which is when all kinds of interesting other ideas are coming at you, you kind of get off course, taken off course and move in different directions. And so if you have clarity on, on what you're trying to accomplish with your giving, then you're more likely to achieve it faster. I think the second thing to think about, as I mentioned earlier, is you know we're, we're more than money. And so think about what else we have to give uh, that can be helpful to the nonprofit organizations we want to support. And so, you know, that could be anything really that could be donating your time, like your talents. Um, so you are teaching a class or you're joining a nonprofit board volunteering. It could be, I mean, honestly, um, you know, one of the challenges nonprofits experienced at the beginning of COVID lockdown was, you know, how do I apply for the PPP loan or do I do that? Or mm-hmm. how do I respond to all this stuff? And, you know, a lot of nonprofits, they might have a bank account, but they don't necessarily have a relationship with a banker. You know, they have an 800 number to call. If you happen to have a banking relationship and you have a nonprofit that you really support and believe in, you know, introducing that nonprofit executive director to your banker could actually be hugely helpful to the nonprofit because suddenly they have a actual human being to talk to, to get advice is that, what do I do? How do I do this? What's the impact? What's the downside? And that costs you nothing, right? Uh, It may be, it costs you a little bit of time in making the introduction, but so think about, you know, the connections you have, the doors you can open, uh, the influence you have, um, you know, can you, you know, in, in the coming days and months, we'll be optimistic when we can, invite people over <laughs> again, you know, yeah. you have a house party and, you know, with a nonprofit and invite your friends over to help, you know, raise awareness or raise funds for the organization. There's all kinds of things. And then the third tip I'd suggest is, um, you know, figuring out ways that you can align or leverage your donation with the donations of others. And so, you know, going back to my early childhood education example, in a lot of communities uh, in the U.S. or uh, around the world, there are community-wide efforts to actually improve early childhood education, where you might have the county government, the local school district, the city, some larger you know, foundations, uh, providers of early childhood education coming together 
in a collaborative effort to improve the quality of edu- of early child childhood education or make sure that families can actually get their kids to preschool programs. And so, you know, you can join in that effort, right? You can contribute. You might be the smallest do- donator. You might be the smallest contributor, but you can be there. You can show up um, as a small business owner and give to a larger effort that's going to make a huge, you know, much greater difference than you could ever make on your own. And along the way, you know, that's a really great opportunity to learn. Um, I mean, a lot of communities, for example, in response to COVID created rapid response funds, very similar mm-hmm. kind of pooled funding efforts where, you know, hundreds or thousands of people could donate. And, it, you know, it, it becomes a, a place where, you know, nonprofits can apply, you know, there's one application and then the resources get allocated to different kinds of nonprofits meeting different kinds of needs across the community. A great way, again, to, you know, make a contribution that really leverages your donation with the donation of others for a much greater impact. Hmm. Yeah, that just makes me think, um, I mean, personally, as like a shopper, I like to see when there's a sale and I like to go buy them. Um, <laughs> There might be opportunities to magnify the amount that you're donating by kind of waiting for these matching opportunities. Um, I'm thinking specifically of my like local grocery store. Does they match donations to the food bank up to a thousand dollars every mm-hmm. fall? Um, so like that's turning your one thousand dollar donation or one hundred dollar donation into two thousand or two hundred dollars. So yes. just kind of getting creative and um or maybe your partner works for a big company who matches donations. Like, you know, think about ways that you can I guess extend the mileage of what you're able to give. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another good way to have a greater impact is to kind of pick a, a cause or even pick an organization and really stick with them over time um, because it allows you, it allows them to have the confidence that you're, you know, you're going to continue giving it to them year after year or on a monthly basis. It also gives you the opportunity to learn about that organization, maybe participate in different ways, like attend their events or their virtual events um, and, you know, and develop a, an actual relationship with the staff. You know, you can learn about them that way. If there's a crisis, or I'll just say when there's a crisis in the future, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can pick up the phone and you actually know who that person is. You can call them and you can say, how can I help? And, um, yeah. you know, that's, that, that means a lot. Yeah. That's kind of what I've had on the tip of my tongue a little bit is the relationship element. Like that's not something I've explored through my giving. I, I actually rotate causes on a quarterly basis. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sort of having this like, uh, Hmm, maybe I shouldn't be doing, maybe that's not the best way, um, moment right now. But, and I certainly don't have relation, like personal relationships with anyone at any of the places that I donate. Um, I, like, I, I'm proud of the impact that I've been able to make at a lot of different organizations, but, um, that's not really an element of it. That ability to, like, you know, as you say, pick up the phone and see how you can help in the moment. Um, so that's, that's such a great point. Yeah, but I think it goes back though to your stra- your strategy and like what do you want to accomplish with your giving? And so that what you're you're what you're doing is not at all bad. Like it's your approach. Right. You know what I mean? And there's reasons you chose that. So that makes sense. 
I mean, I mean, I know a foundation in Los Angeles that, you know, that they want to give to like every not every good nonprofit in Los Angeles, which, you know, there's got to be what tens of thousands of them. Yeah. And so, you know, their approach is like, you, you never get a second grant, you know, they only give you a one-time grant and it's trying to spread the wealth across the community because that's their strategy, like that's their approach. And so that makes sense for them. You know, others might pick a neighborhood, you know, in Los Angeles County to support or a particular organization right. or, you know, a, a cause or something, and they want to narrow their focus to have an impact that way. And so I just think it depends, it, again, it's just getting clarity on what you're trying to accomplish as a donor, as a giver, and then what's the best way to accomplish it. Yeah. Yeah. I love this, this just process of adding intention to it. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't actually take that long to sit down and, you know, maybe you're journaling, maybe you're kind of meditating on it or just sitting and thinking like mm-hmm. so often we just don't go through that process of step stepping back a little bit and trying to, you know, put some intention into it. So I love that that's kind of the baseline of your approach. Yeah. I mean, really think about you. If you sat down for an hour and asked yourself questions like, you know, what have been the most meaningful experiences of my life? Um, you know, what, what caused me to be able to be where I am today? What, you know, are there people in my life who, you know, suffered and I don't want others to suffer that way. I mean, you know, you could ask yourself a handful of questions like that and just jot it all down. Um, and you'd come away, I think with a lot of rich insights that could help inform your giving. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's talk about your book a little bit. It is called Delusional Altruism, which I just think is such a um, grabbing title. What is delusional delusional altruism and how does it relate to small business? Yes. So the book is Delusional Altruism, Why Philanthropists Fail to Achieve Change and What They Can Do to Transform Their Giving. And basically, it means that, you know, I've been advising donors for 20 years, and I've come to recognize that, uh, you know, they are all genuine in their altruism. They want to make a difference. They want to change the world. They want to have an impact, but they're actually getting in their own way. And so, you know, and that's the delusion. So by delusion, I don't mean they're crazy. (laughs) I mean, they are clinging on to these kind of misguided beliefs or practices that are hampering their impact, that are preventing them from having the impact that they want. And often they don't even realize this is happening. And, you know, it's actually very funny to me when I, um, you asked that question, it reminded me of my husband. So again, my small business owner husband who was reading my book because I made him, no, he wanted to. And uh, (laughs) halfway through and he said, honey, I had no idea you knew so much. I mean, oh he, meant it. he meant That's it great. positively, but it, it made me laugh. But what he meant was like, it's very applicable. The ideas are applicable to anybody, not just a funder, but also to a business owner or to anybody really. Um, because, you know, the ways that donors and quite frankly, all of us get in our own way are things like that scarcity mindset that I talked about. Um, you know, this kind of misguided belief that, you know, you have to maintain a Spartan operation in order to have the impact. And you're not going to invest in, you know, your own learning. You're not going to invest in your own professional development or your technology. You know, funders are the exact same way. I know a lot of um, 
you know, leaders of large foundations. I mean, these are people giving away $20 million a year that did not take the time or invest a little bit of money in the ability to make, you know, to, to send checks or send payments to the nonprofits electronically. So the only way they could write a grant or, or give a nonprofit money is that they had a physical check in the office that multiple people had to physically sign. And, you know, they went into lockdown. And in some places, you know, I think it varied around the country, but a lot of places you were just forbidden from like being on the streets, like you could not get into your office at all. Hmm. And so there were very wealthy donors and leaders of foundations who were in a state of panic because they again, genuinely wanted to help these nonprofits support the food pantries and, you know, do all of this, you know, give their grantees money so they could stay afloat, but couldn't because their checks were locked in an office and because they hadn't taken the time to invest in their own technology. And then others that had, you know, it was all electronic. They could do it through, you know, ACH, which as an organization, it's, it's harder to set that up on the fly. And so, just as an example, you know, that scarcity mindset of, of getting on our own way. Uh, another is um, starting with the wrong questions. And I write in the book a chapter on the wrong questions that donors ask and the 12 questions that they should be asking. And they're all applicable, I think, to small business owners. Uh, and one of the mistakes that we often make is asking how before asking what. And so it means like starting with your tactics before clarifying your strategy. So the what, as I was talking about before, is, you know, what do you want to accomplish? What are your objectives? You know, what do you want to, what kind of business do you want to become? Whatever. Your how is, you know, how will we get there? Right. How will we accomplish that? And there's generally a lot of different hows, right? There's lots of different ways to accomplish it, but you can't possibly know which one to choose until you know what you're trying to accomplish, right? But too often in philanthropy, you know, people get caught up in the how before the what. Like, um, for example, you know, I, I was working actually on an arts education initiative. Um, and, you know, you can get easily caught up in the, like, how do we improve arts education? Well, we need to hire more arts teachers, well, we need to, you know, um, strengthen the community-based arts organizations. Uh, we need more art supplies, like whatever, like that can go on and on and on. Right. And mm -hmm. it's, it's all good. Like it's all important, but first you need to clarify, well, what are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to improve quality of arts education? Are you trying to improve access to arts education? Are you trying to make sure there's like equitable access or uh, culturally diverse uh, and racially diverse arts education. You know, what are you trying to accomplish? And only then figure out how to accomplish it. Right. Well, small businesses, it's it's exactly the same. I mean, let's say you, um, you know, last year before the pandemic, you, you know, you sold your products by, you know, physically in person. Um, you, um, Create, you create crafts or art and you would go to art fairs, right? Or you physically had to walk in buildings. You know, your sales strategy was walking into a building and trying to find the right person to talk to. Well, if that was it, if that was your approach, then, you know, suddenly we can't go anywhere and we're all locked down. Mm -hmm. That's not going to work. Um, and so, um, 
I think, you know, if, so then you think to yourself, well, I need a virtual marketing strategy or a virtual sales strategy, right? Well, there's lots of different ways you can approach that. And it's easy to get caught in the tactics. Do I need a sales funnel? Am I, should I be on Twitter or Facebook uh, or Instagram, right? Like you get sucked into these tactics. Do I need a blog? Should I do webinars? Do, like whatever. Uh, but you can't possibly know the right tactic, the how, to, you know, sell online or whatever until you know what you're trying to accomplish. So like kind of what is your marketing strategy going to be? What is your marketing plan going to be? Who are you trying to reach and what's the best way to reach those people? Only then can you figure out does, you know, is Instagram the way or is Facebook the way, or maybe social media is not the way at all. Right. So I think again, clarifying your how before clarifying or clarifying your what before clarifying your how. I love this. I feel like that's so like you say, it's so relevant to more than just giving. Um, it's like, if you want to make an impact with what you're doing, whether that's giving or accomplishing your business goals, being really clear on what it is you're trying to do is something that is so easy to do, but it's so often not done. <laughs> um, exactly. Especially when you there's no big process around it, you work for yourself or whatever. So um, right, right. Because you don't that. have like a coach or you don't have a team, you know, to help you. And, you know, the tactics are easier. The other thing is it's so easy to get sucked into these things. And there's all kinds of people trying to sell you the tactics, really, mm -hmm. with, again, with the best of intentions. But, you know, marketing people and communications people, you know, if they're trying to sell you a sales funnel, then they're going to make everything sound like that's the solution to everything. Right. And, and maybe it is, but like, how could you possibly know right. until you have clarity on what you're trying to do? Love that. Um, another question I wanted to ask you is just related to sort of the state of the world over the last year. Um, as you kind of alluded to, small businesses have had to make a lot of really kind of sharp, immediate changes to their strategy and just how their business runs. Um, what is the role of planning in philanthropy? And how how do we navigate that when everything is changing all the time? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and this is one that I think it, it's as relevant for a small business um, as a you know Fortune 100 company, as a philanthropist. Uh, it's easy to... Um, kind of go into hide, hiding mode, right? Or, or, or fear mode when the world keeps changing and it can feel paralyzing. It can feel really hard to plan for an unknown future. But I think a couple things. One is it's important to change your mindset. And by that, I mean, I'm like, yes, the beginning of this decade has been particularly bizarre and turbulent and Things are changing all the time, right? But And the future is uncertain. But the future is really no more uncertain today than it was last decade or last century. And I think we need to recognize that really disruption is the status quo and volatility is the status quo. And so instead of uh, allowing this notion of an you know, uncertain future or constantly changing conditions to paralyze you, the mindset shift I suggest you make is to let it free you. Because you can't possibly plan for every contingency, right? So why bother really trying? Um, instead, I think um, recognize that uh, what's the, the way to plan really at any time is to you know create a plan quickly based on the information you currently have available. Begin using that plan immediately 
for as long as it makes sense, and then change that plan quickly as conditions change and and recognize that conditions will change. And so, um, you know, what I'm to unpack that a little bit, you know, create your plan quickly based on the information you currently have means, you know, you don't need to conduct a needs assessment. Uh, you don't need to, you know, do a lot of research, right? What do you currently know about what's happening and create your plan based on that? Uh, begin using it right away means like just begin implementing it, begin working that plan for as long as it makes sense, right? If it makes sense for the next year, then go for it, right? But chances are something's going to change, right? And so literally, if this is your business plan or your strategic plan or you're planning a wedding <laughs> or you have, it's your giving plan, uh, build in time. You know, I suggest planning for like a year. Like you just can't plan further than that out because, you know, it's futile. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but create time in your calendar every two weeks, every two months, once a quarter, whatever, where you check in on your plan when you literally like pull it out, like, you know, write this up on a piece of paper pull it out, look at it and say, well, are we making progress? Has anything changed in the world, in our community, in my family, in my business that would warrant making a, a change? Do we need to add something, abandon something that's not working? Like, how do we modify this? Make those changes and keep going. Because then, you know, having a, a strategy really is a decision-making framework. It allows you to know what you're trying to accomplish what are the you know top three priorities for accomplishing it, and uh, so that you can make decisions accordingly with how you spend your time or how how you allocate your resources. Um, but if you can assume that you're going to need to be nimble and agile and kind of make course corrections along the way, then that plan or that strategy is always going to be relevant. It's always going to be salient and sentient and you know like living and breathing, right? It's always going to be guiding you. And you're far better off, I think, having a, you know, kind of a for now and flexible plan uh, that's guiding your decisions and your choices than it is to be, you know, kind of whistling in the wind and sort of waiting for things to calm down because, you know, they're not really going to calm down. <laughs> there is no new normal coming around the corner, I hate to tell you, because there never has been a normal, you know, so kind of go with it and, um, you know, create that plan and, and begin working it and, and change it along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the perspective of letting just the inevitability of change actually like expect that. And that is kind of freeing if, you know, Mm -hmm. if you don't expect that you're going to be able to plot something out and nothing will change and you'll be able to get there exactly the way you initially saw getting there. Like if you don't have that expectation, it's not going to be as upsetting when things inevitably go off track. So that's a really great perspective kind of mindset shift to make. Exactly. And if your listeners are interested, I have a guide that I just created that kind of makes this case perhaps more eloquently. Um, and it's called Eight Things Every Philanthropist Can Do to Change the World, Even When the World Keeps Changing. And you can download it. It's a free download if you go to eightthings.org. You can download it for free. And again, I would say, even if you don't define yourself as a philanthropist, I think the ideas are applicable to any organization. If you're a nonprofit or a small business or a, you know, Fortune 500 company, um, it really is the same. So eightthings.org. 
Love that. I'm going to go download that right when we hang up here. That sounds awesome. Um, how can small businesses measure the impact of their giving? Yeah, well, this is a question that plagues philanthropists and donors of all sizes is, you know, you want to have an impact. So how do you know you're actually having that impact? And I, you know, I, the advice I'd give to a small business is the same advice I give to all my clients, which is really think about what do you want to learn from your giving? And then what's the best way to learn that? And, and, and so, but by that, I mean, because, because you can have, you know, complex, you know, expensive evaluations, right? But is that really necessary? And, you know, so if you're um, giving to a local arts organization that's doing arts education in your community, you know, what do you want to learn about that organization? You might want to learn, like, how many children attend? Do you want to learn about the breadth of offerings that they have? Do you want to learn that, Children and their parents are, you know, satisfied that kids kind of return over and over and over again, which is an indicator that they like it and they want more. Um, do you want to learn that they're experimenting with different kinds of, you know, uh, art forms, whatever? Like, so just get clear. Or, or do you want to learn that they're growing and reaching more people? So figure out what it is that you want to learn about the impact that you're having. And then figure out what's the best way to learn it. And so, you know, and also I think to kind of right size your expectations with your gift. So by that, I mean, if you're giving $500 to an organization, you know, kind of a grassroots organization, you might not be able to expect them to be evaluating their interventions and their programs because they might not have the money to do that. And certainly your $500 is not going to buy that evaluation. And so it's unfair really to expect, um, you know, that they're going to be, have that comprehensive evaluation if, if they're kind of working on a shoestring or a grassroots group or whatnot. Now, if you're giving $100,000 to the organization, you could build in evaluation into that. And you, you know, that could be part of the conversation to help them pay for an assessment of their effort. Um, so that's what I mean by kind of right size your expectations with your gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I think, again, nonprofit organizations ideally, you know, have a website. They have a lot of this data that they're sharing with their donors. Um, you can certainly ask the organization for, you know, this kind of information. Uh, again, that's, I think, where it's beneficial to it can be beneficial to build a relationship with a nonprofit and to participate in different ways. So, you know, you might learn about their accomplishments by attending their virtual gala or their in-person gala because they're going to be sharing that with you. Um, or, you know, you might hear from people that are participating, you know, beneficiaries of that organization. Um, so I think, you know, just thinking, getting clarity on what you want to learn and the best way to learn it, I think is a great approach. Yeah. It's the conversation is kind of, all comes back to this, like, be clear on what your goal is. And then yes, kind of check in with what, like, how has the money you've given or what you've done in your business? How has that affected that goal? Or what has changed with respect to that goal? So full circle conversation. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, Chris, I'm going to transition into our sort of closing questions. I feel like I could pick your brain all day. So let's start with this one. What is one business you admire? Yeah, you know, one that immediately comes to mind actually is a client of mine, which is um, Smuckers, the JM Smucker Company, the makers of jams and jellies. Um, so not a small business, obviously a very large business, but but yet still a family run business. I mean, it's like, I think in the fourth generation of family uh, leadership and um, a very much a purpose driven organization. So of course, you know, they want to make a profit, but it's not just about selling product. It's about really having a purpose and bringing people together, bringing families together um, to thrive. And, you know, they've created, I've been working with their um, philanthropy director to really align their philanthropic giving with their corporate purpose. And I think that's, you know, really important for any organization. Again, you know, if you're a small business or a large business, thinking about, you know, what's your why? Why do you exist as an organization? You know, chances are it's not about just making money. What's your what's your why in the world? Why do you exist? And then aligning really everything toward that. I mean, everything should be aligned toward your purpose, your your people, you know, your systems, um, your communication, your marketing, but certainly your giving. And so they're they're a company that I I definitely admire. Love that. Um, what is one book recommendation? So first tell everyone where they can find your book, which I think everyone should go pick up a copy of. Um, and then maybe one other book recommendation if you've got one. Yeah. Yeah. So my book is called delusional altruism. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and many other retailers, or you can go to delusionalaltruism.com and you'll find all the links there. And again, I really do recommend it for anybody. I think you'll you'll learn a lot um, to help you clarify as a small business owner, not only ways to give, but you know, um, ideas that can be helpful to you as a as a small business. And then a book recommendation that I think is terrific for small businesses actually is called I believe it's Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. And so this is all about really marketing uh, your business and around story and kind of the elements of story, like a, stories have heroes. There's usually a guide. There's a problem. The problem is overcome, these kinds of things. And it's a really fun. It's an easy read. And it's a very practical, actually, uh, to help you figure out, you know, um, what the, the right message is for your audience um, so that you can grow your business. Love that recommendation. Um, So finally, how can people find you online and connect with you? Um, I'd love if you just repeat about the free guide you have. Um, That sounds really amazing. Yes. So it's eight things every philanthropist can do to change the world, even when the world keeps changing. And you can go to eightthings.org. Uh, and then the book delusionalaltruism.com and both of those actually link directly to my website. So you can find me there. Perfect. Well, Chris, thank you so much for this conversation. It's, I feel like now that we've had it, it's just like so overdue to have this on the podcast, (laughs) this conversation around approaching your giving really thoughtfully and, um, understanding that like you say, it's not just about how much you give. It's just as important how you give. So um, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your knowledge. And 
Um, we're so grateful for the conversation. Oh, Lauren, thank you so much for having me. I could not love Chris's approach to giving more. I hope you all feel inspired to make thoughtful and intentional decisions about how your business gives back and be encouraged that no matter what stage you're at and what resources you currently have, you do have the ability to make a big impact right now. Everything mentioned in the podcast can be found at the show notes page at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 5858. I know Chris and I would both love to connect with you on Instagram. You can find Chris at K-R-I-S underscore P-U-T-N-A-M underscore W-A-L-K-E-R-L-Y and me at Lauren Tilden, L-A-U-R-E-N-T-I-L-D-E-N. You can find Chris's book online at delusionalaltruism.com and her free guide at 8things.org. Thank you for being here and for focusing on making a difference with your small business. Talk to you next time.